the only way we're actually going to fulfill um, the promise of sustainable goals, uh, which are global sustainable goals, not local, um, is by by looking at each other, by traveling. I think that vector is still there, and you know, it's this cross pollination of of cultures and. And which big cities provide for the most part. There's just, you know, uh, giant melting pots of, of ideas and people. Today's show is primarily focused on how we help companies that are trying to make a positive impact on the world get access to funds and also how they're supported through their growth. To do that, we're stopping off in both the UK and also in Lisbon. Then, as an extra treat, we pop in with Val Vicante over in Texas to find out how CES went. This is Tech Talks, your weekly technology podcast brought to you by the Harvey Nash Group, hosted by myself, David Savage, where we talk to leaders from across the world and sink our teeth into some of the biggest issues facing our industry. Joining me on today's show, we've got Akish. How are you today? Hello, I'm good, thank you. I'm very well. Have you seen the news that in America they have managed to transplant a pig's heart into a human? I've not seen that, no. no. Yeah, absolutely amazing, this. So it's um, the patient's doing well, apparently, um, three days after the highly experimental surgery. Mm-hmm. And they have literally transplanted a genetically modified pig's heart into a human in a last-ditch effort to save their life. But if you think about it, that is that is kind of medical science astonishing because there aren't always hearts available yeah and if you if we can genetically modify hearts uh to solve the 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 strain on 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 waiting lists for organs that is that is absolutely astonishing it's very good but also do you reckon the person when he wakes up and he's all fine do you reckon he'll be a bit hesitant from eating bacon and sausages (laughs) I was like, where are you going to go with this for me? Like, uh, Knowing that, you know, he's effectively eating him, his own or her own. His own. <laughs> just a bit... I don't know. I don't think you'll look at it like that. <laughs> oh, I'll get a bit sketched out, man. Like, yeah. yeah. Is that, is I think that... you'll just be happy he's alive. Yeah. Oh, God. I don't know. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's it's amazing. It is so good. Like, that you know that that sort of stuff can be done um and fair play to the doctors um scientists medical research um they get a lot of stick and yeah they are getting a lot of stick at the moment with obviously the the pandemic and vaccines and all that sort of stuff but they're good people clever people we need it i think that's that's yeah beyond beyond any question and it's it's kind of like I can understand ethical questions around, hang on a minute, what about the pig and all that kind of stuff? But if they can do that, if they can genetically modify a heart, then mm. it's like it's another step towards perhaps just growing stuff in a laboratory yeah. from scratch yeah. with, modify, you know, that, that doesn't that doesn't hurt anything mm. that allows you to to save lives. Mm. And you know what? It's, it's a good news story and it's the kind of thing that needs investing in. And I thought that we'd start today's episode because... It might be indirectly related, but the show is all about um, financing and investment um, and the support of ideas that can help improve the world and make society better. Hmm. It seemed like a nice link to it. 
Yeah, no, no, it works, it works, it works. <laughs> <laughs> so on today's show, we are we've got three interviews for you actually. Uh, first, we're going to go to Liverpool to talk to uh, Tom from Circa Five Thousand. Then we're going to talk uh, to Kwame in Lisbon. And then lastly, we've got a little bit of news for you from Vegas, uh, from Val, who is out in Texas. So we're kind of globetrotting today, uh, Akish. Like it. I feel like we're on some sort of uh, global tour from, from our rooms. Hey, it's, it's a break from London. Um, so yeah, the first interview, Tom, uh, Circa 5000, we'll hand over to that and we'll be back with some comments. So this morning, I'm joined by Tom. Tom, you've, you've been a... A guest on his podcast before, uh, when you were operating under the name Ticker. Yes. Uh, it's now Circa 5000. You know, very quickly, before we get into anything else, I want to explain who, what Circa 5000 is. Yeah. So Circa 5000 is uh, an investment platform that gets uh, people to invest, anybody uh, from any background, in the companies that are that are building our future. So companies that are um, uh, tackling issues along the, along the lines of people and planet. So climate issues and human and social issues. Um, so the idea is that you can invest for your future and invest for everyone else's future at the same time by creating the future that we want to see. So the, the name is a metaphor for building the long term, the year 5000 effectively. Um, and it's all about long term future investing underpinned by positive social and environmental causes, basically. And for anyone who is familiar with Ticker before, why change that name? Very, it's a good question. There's two main reasons. The first is ticker, the name, came from stock market ticker symbol. So when we launched two to three years ago, trading platforms and short-term investing wasn't what it is now, basically. So that name, because it's a very financy trading-y style name, is more appropriate for that kind of platform, a short-term investment platform. But we're super long-term. You know, We're about investing for the long-term good investment behavior. So that was one reason. The second is ethical and sustainable businesses we feel often come across a little bit too worthy and do good in how they position themselves and we wanted to deposition ourselves away from that as well and be more about long-termism and building the future and not that we're better than than people so it was kind of wrapping those two things up in one exercise that created this futuristic style branding which i think is much more akin to how we see the vision of the company and what we do actually day to day but we're we're in that early part of the year where every single year with alarming pace, we smash through every single target we should have for the kind of the amount of emissions that we produce or, you know, you kind of begin to see how hot the previous year has been and what the trends are over those years. And, and, and climate and, and planet is obviously very high on everyone's agenda. There's been a lot of talk about investment into the space and yet the government at the same time, you know, they'll, they'll talk about let's invest in electric vehicles but then they're rolling back on the on the infrastructure or the charging points so there seems to be this this political capital perhaps but at the same time when it comes to reality the investment isn't there and if we think about the way that the pandemic has changed where investment has gone over the course of the last couple of years it seems to have gone into the safer bets of fintech and 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 data and markets that were already understood what's it from your perspective what what's going on with with investment actually into this space yeah it's a, it's a great point i think there's, there's always a gap and i've i've worked in impact investing or sustainable investing since 2014 so you know seven ish years now there's always a gap between rhetoric and you know the reality um whether that's from politicians or from investment houses whether that's big asset managers like 
you know, BlackRock, Vanguard, and the, and the big ones at the other end of the spectrum, or VCs at the end of the, at the at the beginning of the spectrum. Um, so there's always a lot of noise about this, and this should be done, and this is the right thing. But then in reality, it doesn't fully kind of match up. I would say though that now it does seem for the first time, and I would say really last year, that especially in the in the climate area, there does seem to be more and more funds come out venture capital funds investing in startups that are climate focused, climate technology focused. Um, and also the big asset managers, especially someone like BlackRock, are coming out and making statements about how they're changing their business. It's way too slow, but I think it is actually starting to change. So there will be a gap for a, for, for a while longer, but I think the gap between the rhetoric and reality is starting to close a little bit, um, but it's, it's glacial. In terms of where that investment goes, um, as I understand it, kind of people might, People might put their money where they feel that there's something that they're they're really kind of conscious about. And it might be that someone's gone to the Maldives and they've seen the reefs go from beautiful colours to kind of grey and, and kind of the coral dying back. And therefore, that's maybe somewhere, something that they want to invest in because they've got that emotional pull. But if I think back to the Earthshot Awards towards the back end of last year, they had all the various different categories. It's such a broad area that knowing where that money should go or, or having any kind of real... I suppose, um, what's the right word, but any kind of momentum mm. where you feel like an impact can be made and that, that there's a story that, that begins to gather garner interest, that must be quite a hard thing, right? Yeah, it is because, I mean, the, the problem the problem with the big problem of, of something like climate change is there is a, there's not one answer, there's a million different mini answers, basically. And, and, and from a retail perspective, from a consumer perspective, someone looking to deploy their money in the most impactful way possible, it can be very, very difficult, um, which is why we try and, you know, with our platform and there's other platforms that may try and do this, curate certain areas, certain themes that we think are the most high impact from our research and our understanding of the problem. Um, but you're right, people connect with what they see, basically. Um, I, I think that's what I take from what you're saying, versus some abstract technological solution to climate change, which doesn't really kind of come through because it's more data-driven and science-driven which is why I think the way to really get people to connect with this even more is the narrative, the human narrative underneath climate change, which is what we try and do it, uh, in the product. But I think that's the way that you can bring home someone like, so for example, the biggest wind, wind energy provider in the world is Vestas Wind Systems. If you explain what they do just on a surface level, it's kind of boring and it, and it kind of turns people off. But if you talk about how they've impacted this specific village and this family in this area, and you bring that story to life and you create that kind of follow your money narrative, I think people can engage in the bigger, more abstract problems, um, the more tech-driven, science-y abstract problems, because underneath it all uh, is humanity, basically, which is what kind of what we're trying to do. We're trying to tell the stories, engage people in, in problems and solutions that otherwise wouldn't be engaging by bringing the human narrative through. And I think that's how you can bring more people to do this and how you can highlight the areas which people should invest in and align their money with. And look, you're in this wonderful position where you're sitting there and you're seeing where people are putting their money and you're seeing what the startups are and so on. Um, mm. Where do you see technology really having an impact? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, I, 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 um, I see where a lot of the money's going um, and I bemoan where a lot of VC money is going. Um, you know, a lot of VC money goes to, you know, us bring, bringing in us groceries in either eight, nine or 10 minutes, which I think is kind of, you know, mostly useless money being spent in the world, if I'm totally honest, from an impact point of view. Um, however, I think there's a lot of money that's now being deployed by the funds that I've mentioned into really interesting areas, whether it's hydrogen energy, whether it's kind of revisiting nuclear. I know that's a kind of a, a quite a semi-contentious topic, but there's been a massive gap in investment there, which is why we've not kind of gone anywhere. Um, but 
if it, if we're going to combat the issue of climate change or you know um and and uh, and make some real inroads on that in the time frame that we need to nuclear has to play a major part in it so i think you'll see a renewed focus on that and and areas like hydrogen over the next year plus 10 years 20 years 30 years i think that those will form part of the huge uh, mix of the future and look you as a you as a kind of a business in growth mode and, and a platform that are attracting um interest to the, to, to, to the service what are you what are you looking for at the minute is it, is it companies that want to raise is it is it people who want to invest money I, I suppose obviously it's a bit of a blend of both but where where is your real focus right now yeah mainly mainly i would say on well it's always a little bit of both um but i think the the main thing is us growing the the customer base effectively so i think you what I think what you definitely have amongst our target demographic, and it's not strictly related to, to age, you know, that our core customer is someone aged 31 to 41, let's say. That's the that's the kind of core demographic. There's definitely an appetite for everyone that wants to consider this. They like it, you know, from a from a theoretical point of view. They know they now should invest. There's this appetite in Europe now, which is more pronounced than it ever has been, which is I feel like I should I should be investing, which is benefiting any investment platform. Um, so I think what we want to do is scale our customer base. We want to scale more in the UK. We're about 175,000 customers at the moment. And then we want to start scaling into other European countries from, from the second half of this year. Um, because our, the judgment of us, we can only be successful from an impact point of view with scale, right? There's no point us being a small business because then we don't change the industry in which we left to start this. We need mm. high number of customers and a high number of assets not for a business profitability perspective or well, we obviously need that too but from an impact and changing an industry perspective because the more people we get to do this the more people whose default method of investing has changed basically and that's why we, we need to grow the pie of customers doing this and look the, the last question in terms of those customers is it is it a slightly different sell because if you think about kind of investment platforms and trading platforms if i think about some of the companies that we've had in this show good companies you know the likes of free trade and so on they yeah. very much are based at Make an investment, invest in stuff that you you feel that you connect to, but yes. return on investment, make some money, right? Yes. Um, whereas, I don't know, the, with circa five thousand, there's an element of yeah, you want to. I assume people want to have return on their investment. They're not just giving money because it's an investment platform. But is there an element that actually that is not as important because they feel that their money is going towards a good cause in a way, I suppose, a bit more of an emotional kind of connection you might get when you donate charitably? Yeah, I think there's an element of that. I think if you look at the the trading platforms, you know, for them, it's it's speed, ease of, ease of use, fees, and obviously the return opportunities that are there. I think they still apply to us, but we have an additional layer. And I think the additional layer could be a retention factor, a referral factor. It's the emotional factor. But the way we think about the product development is kind of like, you know, I've done it to death now, but I'm going to do it again. Like I could test the analogy, right? Tesla mm -hmm. wouldn't be as popular as it was, as it is, if it was a worse car experience, but it was just electric. The reason why everyone loves it the most is because it's the best car from a technology point of view and it's electric. So I think yeah. what, we, what we need to aspire to have is the best experience, the fantastic returns, and all the returns you can be proud of, basically, because they come from these companies. That's how we'll truly scale the business if we get those kind of that triangulation right. And if someone's interested, how do they how do they find out more? Circa five thousand dot com um, or App Store and Play Store. Circa five thousand. Um, plenty of information on on the website and, and in the app. Tom, it's lovely to catch up. Um, Eleventh of January. Uh, let's still say Happy New Year. It's, it's, yeah. it's kind of on the cusp. It's still it's still relevant for for at least a week, I think. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for your time. Thank you, mate. Yes. Right. 
Would you in would you invest if you didn't think that there might necessarily be it's funny, isn't it? That last question about the return on invest. That's why people invest, right? Mm. Yeah. I mean I mean the whole the whole point of investment is you know, putting putting one pound in and getting one pound fifty or two pounds back, right? Doubling up or whatever. So and, and that's been the basis of investment like you know from from one pound to a billion pounds or, or whatever um but then if there's a, a different return on investment in terms of if you actually got a active hand in society and changing and sustainability and development i mean you know sometimes cash may not be the be all and end all um it may be you know you're looking to make more of a mark in things and and you know the cash is a, a byproduct of that so uh yeah i i, th- I think if if I was to invest, I think it would be, um, and if you could get both of them, I think that's that's great. Like we've spoken about it in the past. Yeah, and I mean that's the thing. Like, let's let's not let's not dilute Tom's message, which was that there is investment return on investment there that still mm. exists. Mm. I think that's your point, isn't it? If you can get both, if you can invest in something that you believe in, mm. and get a bit of return, but it might not be as immediate. It might not be quite the same dynamic mm. you might be willing to be a bit more patient you might be going well no I, I this is something that i really care about yeah um i think it i think it's a fascinating dynamic and model and i think it's one that that fits and it's interesting that it's that 31 to 41 year old bracket that got mentioned because it probably is people like us i say mm. people like us you're I'm, I'm 30 yeah uh-huh. so you're yeah. coming into that bracket coming i'm coming in i'm coming in got a bit of cash yeah give or take yeah but yeah more than you have certainly in your early 20s yeah 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 yeah. Uh, and you're kind of beginning to i think you i think you get to a point don't you where you kind of go shit i've seen a bit of the world changing a little bit and actually Mm. i'd quite like to there's some stuff that i'd like to make sure it's it's still there in 20 years time yeah yeah yeah. it's rather kind of grim to think about but the example i used about the maldives like i went there and it was the first time i'd been right so i had no point of reference but i stood next to a french lady who i would hazard a guess was in her late 50s and early 60s and she said to me you should have seen this place 20 years ago Mm, mm. yeah no it's very true and also i think it gets to a point where you get a bit older and you actually start thinking about you start thinking about your future and your old age and kind of you know what like what you're going to leave behind and, and you know kids and it's even little things like you know life insurances and you know stuff like that like you don't really think of that when you're in your 20s or when you're in your teens and when you just start your first job and you start earning your first sort of money you don't really think of these sorts of things and, and investment um but i think the older you get and, and that age bracket you know that's kind of if we were to take london for an example you know normally people are uh, you know kind of earning some good money or have disposable income they are you know sometimes kind of <clears throat> homeowners or have you know kind of valuable assets these sorts of things and then it's about right what is next for me um mm. you know and, and and how can i do that and i think with something like this platform i think it's it's great man because it takes away from the you know, put your money into this and, you know, they're, they're kind of three years away from an IPO or, you know, they're about to get floated and this is how much you could make and all this sort of stuff. It's more about, yeah, you can make money, but also you can feel good about making that money, um, you know, or at least, 
you know have a good kind of sell to it and say look this is what i did and this is what they're doing so yeah it's it's, it's like but it's a bit better than people saying oh you know i've got shares in tesla do you know what i mean yeah. it's, it's 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 better than that i think i've got friends and you know some of them listen to this and they're probably thinking oh he's calling me out but yeah they think they think they're <laughs> they think they're impacting the environment because they've got you know <laughs> stock in tesla and it's like shut up right you've only done that because you know a few years ago seven eight years ago that was like the big thing is on the the outcome yeah. and and yeah so well, this, is, this is a nice segue into the second interview which we'll play in a moment because you talk there about it's, it's better than investing in tesla i mean tesla have got pretty green credentials compared to some businesses but mm. in the second interview kwame talks about Fairphone, which has been um a business that they've that they as in impossible who you're about to hear about have helped and consulted and helped grow because they're a, they're an incubator a, a, a startup studio yeah and they talk about planet first design rather than user experience or user design yeah. so not building for user experience which is absolutely the opposite of everything that anyone talks about in the industry but building planet first mm. and they use the example of fairphone which we've spoken about on this podcast before where it's solving a problem that the planet faces and then people like almost like organic food yeah it costs more but as you're aware of the issue you go i'm going to go buy organic because mm. it's better than the planet people going you know what fairphone might not be the iphone 13 but it's better for the planet and it's yep. better better long term. I'm going to buy into that. Yep. And that planet first design is the thing that, that that you kind of go for. It's a little bit different, isn't it, to that Tesla thing, which is people people want Tesla because it's the best car as well as being hmm. green. Hmm. I think there is this shift where people are willing to buy a potato that's not a perfectly shaped potato if it's being grown on a farm that is is kind of socially conscious and environmentally conscious yeah yeah 100 percent. and because it's because it may not be the in fashion thing people might stay away from it whereas obviously someone like tesla or you know planet organic and whole foods and these sort of thing is a bit bougie it's a bit fashionable it's like oh yeah you know i just want to walk down the i just want to walk down the road with my brown you know whole foods bag saying that you know i've done my bit for the environment but Careful, you know. we're getting. Did you see the Apprentice we, last week? Uh, no, I didn't. know. I've heard a lot of. Oh, about it's it, a but, yeah. shame. Bougie, bougie yeah. is a <laughs> Really, yeah, but um, but yeah, it's just like you know. Come on, let's 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 have a bit of sense in in this as yes. well. Um, yeah, yeah. Well, look, um, we'll play that interview, um, and then just to let you know, later on in the show, we'll also give you a quick update as i said an interview that i uh, had with valvacante from ces so plenty more to stay tuned for akish thanks for your time today no problem thank you for having me so today i am chatting to kwame kwame you are let me make sure that i get this right because it's something that I, I regularly screw up but you're ceo of impossible i am ceo of impossible.com correct before we get into anything else do you want to explain who impossible are um, Impossible is an innovation group. Um, we're born out of um, kind of old school agency, creative agency um, work, um, but a team that's become a little bit more pragmatic um, over the years. That means rather than consulting um, or just consulting and telling folks where to go, um, we, uh, like many others, have internalized the creative process and, and taken it all the way to actual products and businesses. So um, I guess we're more of a startup studio right now. 
you talk about being the home of planet-centric design. So I suppose that alludes to the kind of businesses that you're looking to, to incubate or help grow. What do you mean by planet-centric design? Um, planet-centric design is um, a, an evolution uh, on um, user-centered design. So the way, um, the way products are created, um, right now they follow a few pillars. Uh, you know, everybody looks to the West Coast. Um, and they look at lean methodologies um, and they talk about MVPs, minimum viable products. Um, they, they take on board agile processes um, and they look at, um, at the creative um, methodologies behind user-centered design. So what that means is you tend to start uh, a product or, or a business by looking at a customer uh, problem and you put the customer at the center of that um, creative process. Um, some people call them users, they don't like the word customers, but at the, at the end of the day, we're talking about a human being that is willing to pay to have a problem solved. Um, now the issue is that if you start a creative process just by focusing on um, the user, the individual user, um, you are going to end up with solutions that just cater and pamper to that to that um, individual set of needs um, that um, that are surfaced by the user, uh, as opposed to solutions that also um, can also help bring balance to um, to a wider set of of, of problem spaces, um, and that's so problem. So um, planet centric design is is the evolution of user-centered design. So it's not saying user-centered design is wrong. Um, it's just saying it's killing the planet uh, and it needs to evolve. Um, it has loads of interesting aspects to it, but um, if we just focus and if we just put the user at the center of the creative process, we're gonna get, you know, you ask the user, what do you, what do you want? Uh, well, I, you know, I really, I really need food right now um, delivered to my door or i really need a taxi right now i can't be bothered to go out and find one um and all these are legitimate problems but they're ultimately very um very narrow um and by just pampering to um to the user very much like a little baby or a teenager um you're going to get services that when they scale they're not really um they don't really care much about um communities um they don't care much about relationships society um, and obviously then all the other um all the other goals that we have uh, as 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 a, as a species um that we have set for ourselves um and i'm talking about the sdgs the sustainable development goals um none of those are taken into account at the very beginning they're an afterthought we plant trees um, at the end of the process, um, when we feel a little bit guilty about um, about how um, how big we've become, and that that tends to be the the norm. Um, and we believe that there is a different way of doing it, um, of creating, um, and that's um, that's through planet centric design. Look, this might be a really naive statement, and and 
and highlight some of my own ignorance. But I listened to you there and I would kind of go, yeah, but consumers on an individual basis are probably quite thoughtless and quite selfish. Like, you know, we think about the way that Amazon has been so successful. It's because people on an individual basis have a need for immediate gratification and, and businesses are built to kind of, I suppose, scratch that itch. And, um, you know, it's all about scale. It's all about selling. It's all about product market fit. So how do you find businesses or how do you find leaders that are bold enough to view it differently to the way that everyone is taught to think about business? It is. It's a, it's a really good question. Um, the How do you find those um, those leaders, those businesses? I we converse, right? There's a lot of we just we just meet people, and 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 people with the right set of values um, tend to refer other people with the same um, set of values. So it's not um, it's not hard uh, meeting these people and and finding these networks and these these communities. Um, the I understand the the Amazon analogy. I think. Jeff Bezos has done an incredible job at you know at generating the amount of wealth that he has generated, not just for himself, but you know one in 150 U.S. employees are uh, is an Amazon employee. So um, there's there's definitely a um, huge impact in in that in that whole endeavor. Um, the so I'm not I'm not dissing that. What I am saying is I, I do remember when organic produce in the local shop in the local supermarket were just confined to a, a small little shelf, right? And a lot of people were like, oh, these are a little bit more expensive, and what do you mean organic? What's going on here? Um, and eventually, uh, we started voting for those for those products. Right, um, and that shelf started growing, and now we have supermarkets, um, you know, Whole Foods, which is bought by Amazon, um, for example, who who are active supporters and just stock organic uh, produce, uh, for the most part. So the there is a it feels like there's an inexorable um, walk um, journey towards um, a set of values that feels that I feel much more balanced towards not just our needs but the needs of others and the planet and that feels inevitable um, it just takes um, it takes courage it takes uh, it takes more hard work because you have to these organic produce still need to to do what they say they do for the consumer for the individual um, but they need to do a lot more. Um, so it takes courage and it takes a, it takes more ambition, right? It's a lot easier to just say, let's just focus on fulfilling whatever the user needs, which is, I don't know, fast shipping or whatever that could be. Um, but it takes more ambition to say, yeah, let's do it fast, but let's do it well, right? Let's do it in, in an impactful um, manner and where it really brings the, the positive external, externalities from all this, um, all this creativity, are actually visible to everyone. Um, that um, I think that's where the evolution is, right? I'm not talking about revolution here, and we're starting to feel it. Uh, we're starting to feel it all over. Ten years ago, 
this conversation would probably been a bit nutty. Um, what are they talking about? Um, these days, we are already surrounded by businesses who care, um, who care more uh, than just about the, 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 you know, the welfare of their own customers and, uh, and, and start to be, be a little bit more ambitious. Let's, uh, I think we can do more um, as creators. Um, yeah. The, the role of a startup studio or an incubator or whatever you, you might want to kind of term it as is generally to help a business scale and grow. And that comes with, with money and cash to allow a business to do that. You, you mentioned the West Coast and kind of, I suppose, more traditional views on, on kind of how startups do that. What are the success stories that allow you to go, you know what, planet-centric design works. Here you can have a business that doesn't necessarily think about the user, but uses tech, uses uses all that is available, but approaches this slightly different and can be a, be a commercial success that investors can get excited about. Um, that's a good question. What, um, what makes me think that it does work? Um, the if if I look at, um, at if I look at you know if I read the Financial Times for example if I look at you know they talk a lot a lot about ESGs it's all about ESG these days and it's all about um, really aligning to um, to purpose um, and not just making businesses scale to be to because they're market fit but also because they're planet fit. Um, the if if you if you think about the methodologies and I already uh, broached a few of those that allow us to go from a problem statement to a product and then to a business that actually scales, um, they are those methodologies are fairly simple. When I talk about user centered design, I mean you can learn it in literally a weekend uh, in in an, in an online course. It's not. Uh, it's not it's not rocket science, uh, literally. Um, so, if the simplicity of those methodologies of diverging, converging, of putting the user at the center of the creative process, have yielded so much um, wealth, um, then surely uh, we can we we can do better. So, what gives me hope, and what examples do I see out there? The planet-centric design is a is the I guess it's the product of a journey, and it's an ongoing journey. It's an open source um, reality in the sense that it's a set of practices that we um, that we practice and that we preach. I think the word is not incorrect, um, but it sounds a little weird. Um, that we preach and that we teach, I guess, um, to others. Um, in order to take what already works and add a few ingredients that just makes uh, makes the whole creative process a little bit more ambitious. Um, so it's not. Um, so if you if you ask me, does it really work? Yeah. If you look at um, companies that we've interacted with or we helped grow um, or, or intersected over the years, like Fairphone um, in 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 Holland, um, the you know the the logic there, the problem. Yes, we were trying to we're trying to make a phone that needs to work for people, right? Um, but it also needs to work for the communities where the phone actually the, the phone components come from or are sourced. 
and those communities were being ravaged by war in the Congo. Um, and, you know, the, the other big brands in the space just never really uh, thought about trying to solve that problem as well. They just thought about, oh, let's make this as sexy and beautiful as we can and sell it. And so it is, it is possible through um, a, a logic that aligns you to um, the SDGs, um, a, um, a, a storytelling process that is rigorous to actually go through the whole supply chain um, to, to improve on what we currently and how we currently um, create uh, products. Um, so Fairphone is, is, is a perfect example. We started another, another company um, a few years ago um, in eyewear where we saw look, eyewear is just, there's just so much waste in eyewear. Can we do eyewear with a lot less waste um, and still make them, um, you know, usable and, and, and sexy and, and all that and user-centered? Yes, we can. And there are a number of companies out there doing exactly the same. Um, so the... This, um, this, this whole logic of looking beyond the, the user is, is, is becoming ingrained, uh, hopefully, and this is me kind of knocking on wood, is becoming ingrained in, the, in, in, in design practices all over the world. And, and as such, um, you have creators within these companies who will look beyond just um, the user the user needs so yeah uh, yeah um, there are countless companies out there if you look at the b corp movement uh, most of them um, are we're a b corp as well and you have to be um, you have to be accountable on four pillars um, mm -hmm. and so the all of these um, are measurable right at the end of the day they need to be measurable and you need to be um, accountable um, yeah they're I mean, there are thousands of companies that um, that perform in, in, in a planet-centric way. The last thing I want to ask you is, is you've obviously worked with a lot of leaders and, and trying to engender that right creative mindset must be something that, that where you are consulting, where you are helping, is, is, is quite valuable. You talked there about Fairphone and you talked about conflict in Congo and how big companies didn't really... Um, have that understanding or exposure. If you, if you look at your own history, kind of um, born in Angola, um, then spent time in Brazil, spent time in Portugal, educated in in London, educated in the States. You've you've had a huge amount of different exposure and experience over the course of your life. And as, am I am I right in, in in thinking that Impossible is is based in in Lisbon, in Portugal? But we were introduced through a contact who works um, with the Chilean um, government. How important is that broad experience? And if someone doesn't have it, how can you try and give them that, that understanding so they don't just look at their own horizons and they see problems beyond them? Um, most um, successful design studios draw their energy from, um, from this global reality we've, we've come to inhabit. Um, even though countries, you know, are locking themselves up, and there's, you know, nationalist right-wing movements kind of um, going rampant, um, the there is an inevitability to this global awareness. Uh, ever since that, you know, that that photo was taken from space, and we could realize, oh, it's actually a little blue, beautiful sphere. 
uh, just uh, floating in space. Um, the we it's the only way we're actually able to um, create products that uh, bring a different level of awareness to the people um, that interact with them. Um, it's the it's the only way we're actually going to fulfill um, the promise of sustainable goals, uh, which are global sustainable goals, not local, um, is by by looking at each other, by traveling, um, by conversing. And that that is a reality that is not going to change. How we do that, I mean, I come from, I don't know, maybe Generation EasyJet, maybe, um, had this Erasmus program in, in Europe, and you got to travel, you got to um, go to another university, you got to meet other people. Um, I, yes, the the, uh, the pandemic has dampened that um, a little, but the that um, I think that vector is still there and it will continue. Um, and and that's what's you know it's this cross pollination of of cultures and um, which big cities provide for the most part. There's just you know uh, giant melting pots of of ideas and people. Um, that's that's where we're going to get the energy to continue to not just focus on um, on the bottom line and actually focus on on trying to bring some balance to um, to this um, to this disaster of a uh, of, of a planet to this beautiful mass right um, that we've that we've created. Yeah, Kwame, if someone was interested in finding out more about Impossible, how would they do it? Just go to impossible.com. Cool. Perfect. Look, thank you for your time today. I really appreciate it. Are you, are you in London or Lisbon at the minute? Uh, right Either. now I'm in uh, Lisbon. I am. Very jealous. It's a lovely place. Well, in, enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you, Dave. A couple of years ago, Michael and Jacob, two friends from London, were both thinking about their consumption and sustainability as a whole. Michael, a professional footballer at the time, realised he had no options when it came to sustainable sportswear. Overconsumption and underuse was all too common. Hilo was born, a sportswear brand fighting for the planet by changing mindsets. They started with a running shoe made with seven natural materials, and the shoe can be recycled at the end of its life. As a company, they've offset their carbon to beyond zero, making them carbon negative. You can find out more about Hilo and support their mission at hiloathletics.com. That's H-Y-L-O. We support the Hilo movement. So I'm joined by Val Vicante. Val, we spoke to you about this time last year, um, straight after CES. A very different CES, I would imagine, a year ago to the one that we've just had. First of all, how are you? Uh, I'm doing great. Thanks so much. It's great to be back and to be talking with you. Um, what was CES like this year? So CES this year, it was truly a CES unlike any other. Um, you know, I've, I've been asked that question a lot over the past couple of days, and it's really a surreal CES um, and a lot of joy and a lot of um, just interesting experiences to share. Did you enjoy it more? I would imagine that, yes, being back in person is 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 kind of what shows, those kind of shows is all about and as good as last year was and being able to kind of dip in and out of things and balancing everyday life alongside a big show actually meeting people face to face is invaluable right 
Completely. And I, I will say, David, this was the first in-person show um, that I've been to since February 2020. Wow. Um, yeah. So it was the, the first time to to reconnect with people, to see familiar faces, um, oftentimes with these events. And I, I'm sure you experienced the same thing, kind of um, touching on all the, the events around the world. Um, all these events have historically been almost like a, a mini reunion right? Because it's where you can actually see and reconnect and, and catch up with whether it be friends, colleagues, um, cool people doing interesting things. So it, for that reason in itself, it was fantastic. So let's talk about why you were there. So you work for Merkel. Yes. What do you do at Merkel? So at, at Merkel, um, my role is I'm the director of strategy for product innovation. So I'm sort of like our our in-house entrepreneur, if you will. You were there unveiling two new contactless shopping products, right? Yes. So um, I was I was very honored to be invited back to CES for the Shop But Don't Touch panel, uh, where we unveiled our Shop Next uh, retail innovation platform. And basically what that is, it's our suite of contactless products. Uh, we have the first one we unveiled is called Scan and Know. So it's all about no more in store. Um, I'm not sure if you've been to sort of the big box retailers where you just kind of want to find a, um, a scan the price of something. I can say personally, for me, the ones close to me, have the, it's it's kind of like Vegas. Sometimes they work, sometimes they don't. Um, <laughs> but uh, but Scan and Know, it is really about, um, it's an extension of a retailer's existing website, customer profiles, and loyalty programs, and completely app-free, right? So um, we I think last year we talked about how apps are kind of out they're still out, David. <laughs> so, um, so with Scan and Know, you're able to go in the shop. You know, if you want to find out the price, the ingredients, um, fabrics. There's a lot of people who have allergies nowadays, so it's a great way just to scan the item, find out more about the product, and even if they don't want to carry it around, have it shipped to their door, so they have it at their house when they arrive. Um, and then the second product that we unveiled is called Unbox It. So while Scan and Know is all about knowing more in store and really that amplified assistance in store, Unbox It is sort of what happens uh, to the experience when it's shipped to your door. Uh, we say Unbox It is really all about connecting where it matters most upon arrival and out of the box. Really what Unbox It is, it's our smart packaging content platform. Um, and basically, again, app-free. We're loving app-free contactless experiences. So, um, you know, the upon delivery, shopper scans um, a receipt, a note, et cetera, inside their package. And they're launched into um, an onboarding experience. And so we've really designed the experience under three key pillars. One is getting started. Um, so all about those instructions, pro tips on getting the most of your products. So if you have, say, smart speakers or something like that, or even beauty products, right? Um, it could be maybe you bought a particular moisturizer and what are you supposed to do with it? And how do you use 
it and what goes with it. So it's all about that getting started onboarding experience. Um, the next pillar, we call it join the club. So it's all about any kind of um, exclusive experiences for shoppers, loyalty programs, subscriptions, product reminders, and then kind of rounding it out with the last pillar. Um, that's all about share the love. So connecting with the community, brand ambassadors, encouraging people to share their experiences or customer ratings. And really the best part about the platform is not only that it's app free, um, but that it's no code technology. So for our sort of fellow uh, marketers or content creators, they can just launch into the tool, um, drag and drop or upload content without having to worry about that QR code or what has been shipped in the physical product. What kind of sectors are driving the adoption of these kind of technologies? I mean, you mentioned there maybe a, moist, a moisturizer. I would imagine it's it's technology itself. It is more the smart speakers rather than quite traditional products because I suppose, and this might be completely naive and you'll probably tell me I'm wrong, but I, I would imagine that you want to get a bit more knowledge about stuff that you're not so familiar with rather than necessarily products that people are used to buying and maybe have brand favorites already? So it, it is a great question. And interestingly, um, the, the idea actually did start from the consumer electronics space originally. So as I mentioned, the smart speakers and getting those sort of super thick um, instruction booklets. And like by page 27, it tells you you need to download an app right? <laughs> it's like not the best. Um, so absolutely for consumer electronics, but um, I'm not going to say you're wrong, David, but um, but interestingly, what I will say is it, it is actually in the beauty and soap space. So I know we're on a podcast here, but I am holding up um, some soap and different yep. products from a White Rock Soap Gallery. And um, they actually have a lot of customers who want to know um, what ingredients, and they have certain regimens. If you use a certain soap for shaving, excuse me, um, a certain sh soap for shaving, um, then there's a particular moisturizer to use. And then there's um, a particular sort of aftercare um, serum that helps you from getting razor burn, for example. Um, okay. No, that makes sense, actually, because if I think about kind of board games, and this might be slightly random as an example but i can think of a lot of board games recently where instead of instead of going through a rule book it just goes scan this and it takes you to a youtube video and you watch the video and it tells you how to play the game so that is a great point i will say there was actually um there was actually a connected game product uh, mm. that we did do some testing with this experience and that's exactly right um connected to the experience and it had multiple ways to play Right. So I think all of us know that the game Monopoly, um, not that we worked on that particular product, but I think we all know with that particular game, there's there's like the cheaters edition and there's this edition and this way, the super fast way to play and that sort of thing. So to your point of, of board games, that's a great example of different ways to play. So why be on that panel at CES? I mean, is it PR? and kind of brand exposure. It's a consumer tech show, but I don't know how many consumers were really kind of browsing the show this year. Because I, if I think about the conference, you said it's a chance to kind of get together with people and reconnect. And if I think about the shows that I've gone to post-pandemic, they are quite industry-led as opposed to punters who are just kind of curious and, and coming off the floor. Or is it 
looking for investors or, or partners of some kind or collaborating or sorry collaborating with 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 other players within the industry because you know if you, if you think about a company like yours Merkel you know it's it's you, you purport to be a leading data-driven um, custom customer experience management company you've been around for for more than 30 years so I, I suppose what's what's the reasoning behind you thinking now is the time to want to be on one of these panels so it it's a great question, and I will say um, I've been I've been fortunate to launch a number of a vast array of different products over the years at CES, um, and CES it is really the the launching pad of global innovation, right? If you're having a new product, a new experience, um, that's really the place to go. Uh, and while like um, not everybody attended in person, CES did a good job of providing that digital um, experience. And for in terms of on the floor, as you mentioned, like physically being there, um, it is really about, again, connect, you know, reconnecting with people. For us, it is, and you touched on it beautifully, it is about like who are the different partners we can connect with? Because bear in mind, our products are more um, enabling retailers, right? Enabling retailers to have the have these awesome contactless experiences in their store. So we're looking for for new partners, for new retailers. For um, actually, there's a gentleman who came up to me, and right now he's in the process of of building their whole e-commerce. Uh, platform as well as what happens on delivery, and so we had a great chat. Now we'll be we'll, we have a meeting set for next week and talk about how we might be able to help each other. So, um, so yeah. So what's next? What's what's the plans? Kind of CES is is done. The product is out there. How do you spread the word beyond this point where you are now? Well, right now, I, I am I am pleased to say we've we've had some um, immediate interest. Um, I've already had a couple of demos set up today, which has been great. Everything from candies to a luxury retailer um, to another beauty brand um, that that's today alone. <laughs> so it is really about um, about getting it out, um, having partners and getting it out into the world, into the real retail space. That's sort of the next exciting step. Well, it's really kind of you to spend some time kind of talking a little bit about the product and a little bit about kind of CES and and, and why you were there this year and, and kind of the feeling that you got from the show. Um, it'll be really interesting to see how this year progresses, I suppose. Fingers crossed we don't take any steps backwards um, uh, and kind of continue to to get in touch with people and, and meet in person, but also, I suppose, take advantage of the new ways of working that we've we've kind of discovered over the last two years that allow us to to reach new audiences, right? One of the the top experiences, I will say, it wasn't in the the conference center; it was actually outside of it. And um, a gentleman said, "Hey, if you go over here, you get to ride a Tesla for free, uh, and it'll take you to the next the the next area where you need to go." Okay, great. I didn't realize he was sending me to Elon Musk's boring company's tour that goes underground where they're building the Hyperloop. And so I got to ride in a Tesla in that for free, um, no hiccups or anything along the way. And it, it, it was, when you think of a CES experience, that was a top one. So I just wanted to share that with you. <laughs> that sounds like fun. I'll, I'll be honest. I kind of look at it and go, 
Oh, early January is a bit of a pig of a time to want to get on a plane. <laughs> You've just had the festivities, just had New Year. You're heading back to work, go to Vegas. So oh, it was just a month later, but no, that that sounds like a compelling reason to go. I guess the last thing I'll say about the show, um, as I started out saying, you know, it was a surreal CES, unlike any other. Um, a couple of the pluses, I will say, um, one of my friends and colleagues every year, he kind of moans about the Starbucks line. Well, there wasn't one this year. Um, <laughs> there, when it came to uh, BMW's e-ink soul to soul exhibit, um, I was able to just walk up and check it out and take some amazing footage and see it. Um, and the spaces were very bare, um, you know, just sort of people dotted around. And so you really did get to engage and, and create your own experience. So on a positive note, David. <laughs> One last thing then, if someone is listening, they've got a product, maybe they want to they want to market that, they're a retailer, they're interested in, in, in what Merkel can do and the products that you've described, how would they get in touch? So um, they can get in touch with me directly if they like, uh, Valerie.Vacante at MerkelCXM.com or uh, visit our site, which is MerkelInc.com slash shop next. And you can access all three of the products we talked about today. Awesome. Well, look, thank you very much for your time day, today and uh, good luck for the for the for the rest of the new year. It feels it feels like a bit late to be saying Happy New Year, but you know what I mean. Kind of, it's early January. As long as you say it before the 31st, you're good. I think we can- Oh, is that, is that the rule? I thought it was like the 7th, but okay, fine. That'll, Happy that'll New Year. Horrible, David. <laughs> <laughs> Happy New Year to you too. And thank, thank you so much again for having me on the show. Appreciate it.